This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Welcome back to the Der Show. Before we get to the subject at hand, which is political hypocrisy, new, new subject, uh, as old as the Constitution of the United States. But before we get to that subject, I want to give you the newest definition of chutzpah. You know what chutzpah means. Chutzpah is the kid who murders both his parents. Remember, there was a case in California uh, uh, like that, the two Menendez brothers. But uh, the young man who murders both of his parents and then throws himself on the mercy of the court on the ground that he's an orphan. That's chutzpah. I have a new definition of chutzpah. Hamas decides to hide its fighters and its terrorists in hospitals, in hospitals, including at least one terrorist who was planning a terrorist attack from the hospital. Israeli troops decide, in order not to hurt anybody, not to have any civilian casualties, to go into the hospital dressed as patients and doctors, disguised army soldiers, to find the terrorists and do what you do to terrorists, neutralize them. They do it successfully without hurting anybody. And Hamas complains, saying under international law, what Israel did was wrong. Sending people into a hospital disguised as patients and doctors, that's wrong. Allowing Hamas terrorists to use the hospital as a base for their operations, nothing wrong with that. Boy, is that a new definition of chutzpah. Speaking of chutzpah, let's turn to the subject at hand, which is the uh, Republican attempt to, and by the time you watch this, it may have been successful. There's going to be a vote today, presumably, uh, to impeach uh, Secretary of Homeland Security Mayorkas. Um, there's only one problem. The Republicans have done exactly what the Democrats tried to do with Donald Trump, successfully did to Donald Trump. We always forget Donald Trump was, in fact, impeached twice. I represented him the first time. And my only argument, I spoke for an hour and six minutes in front of the Senate, my only argument was that you can't impeach a president or a cabinet member or anyone else. The impeachment provision is the same for everybody. It's not different, except that if it's the president, the chief justice has to preside. But you can't impeach a federal official unless you can prove that he committed treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. And when I argued in front of the Senate, I said what President Trump was accused of, which they called obstruction of Congress and abuse of power, is not a constitutionally permissible ground for impeachment. And we won. And I got congratulated by senators, uh, mostly Republicans, but Democrats as well, for really giving them a lesson in history and constitutional law and persuading them that you didn't even have to have a trial with evidence that the indictment, the impeachment itself, didn't allege treason, bribery, or the high crimes and misdemeanors. It alleged more like maladministration, not doing your job right. Okay, so Trump wins. The Republican wins. 
Now what are the Republicans doing? The Republicans in the House are now using the same tactic to go after Secretary Mayorkas. They're not claiming that he committed treason or bribery or really any other high crime or misdemeanor. They're saying he failed to enforce the law. Good. Get, don't vote for this party. Uh, he failed to enforce the law. Bring the legal action. Seek to have mandamus to make him obey the law. It's not a crime for a member of the cabinet not to enforce the law. That's a question of policy. Not every law is enforced. And so what the Republicans are doing now to a Democratic cabinet member is exactly the same thing that they applauded me for opposing. Is there no shame? Is there no sense of, gee, when it came to Trump, we successfully argued that it has to be treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. You can't do it for maladministration or abuse of power or obstruction of Congress, which are not crimes. But when it comes to Mayorkas, we don't need crimes. It's enough to say that he didn't follow the law. They also say that he didn't tell Congress the truth, but obviously the charge they make about that would not be perjury. He expressed an opinion that the border is secure. He was wrong, but that's not perjury. And he hasn't been charged with perjury. You couldn't prove perjury based on that kind of an allegation. So the Republicans are doing exactly what they said the Democrats shouldn't do. And the Democrats did exactly what they're now saying the Republicans shouldn't do. I'm watching the Democrats on television and they're saying, but there's no treason. There's no bribery. There's no high crimes and misdemeanors. Duh. Where were those crimes when you guys, Jamie Raskin and, uh, uh, you know, the other members of Congress um, impeached the president of the United States on unconstitutional grounds. You were furious at me for raising my arguments. Uh, people stopped talking to me, but we prevailed. And we prevailed because I was able to show that the framers of the constitution expressly rejected looser criteria for impeachment. There was one guy at the constitutional convention who said we ought to have impeachment as they do in England for maladministration. That's his exact words, maladministration. A guy named James Madison, you ever hear of him? The father of our constitution, president of the United States. He wasn't president then, he was the father of the constitution at the convention. He gets up and he says, no, you can't impeach on the ground of maladministration. It's too vague. And that would turn us into a parliamentary democracy. Like in England, we just rebelled against them. We don't want to be like England. We don't want a parliamentary democracy. We don't want Congress to have the power to change people as they do in England. You just have a vote of no confidence. You get a new prime minister. No, the president serves his four-year term. If you don't like him, throw him out of office in the next election. But if you want to get rid of him in the middle of the term, you got to prove treason, bribery, other high crimes and misdemeanors. And that's what James Madison said. And that's what the voters at the Constitutional Convention voted for. They specifically put in express criteria, treason, bribery, other high crimes and misdemeanors. So, uh, and now... Uh, well, the, uh, the Democrats tried to undo that for Trump, and now the Republicans are trying to undo that for uh, Mayorkas. 
hypocrisy is the name of the game. There was a, a great French philosopher who once said, hypocrisy is the homage that vice pays to virtue. You know, we want to seem virtuous, so we are hypocritical. But hypocrisy is the coin of the realm when it comes to Washington, D.C. Both parties are equally guilty of it. Do you remember what happened when um, a Democratic president uh, tried to get a Supreme Court justice 11 months before the election? The Republican controlled Senate said, no, 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 that's too soon. 11 months before the election, let's wait until there's an election. And then, of course, the shoe is on the other foot and um, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies just uh, a couple of weeks, few weeks before the election, they ran through uh, a nominee and they asked one of the senators, how could you do that? You vote? No, no, we have the votes. We have the votes. We control both the presidency and the Senate. So we can do what we want to do. It's called hypocrisy. But the Constitution was designed to put principle over partisanship. In fact, Alexander Hamilton uh, who obviously favored a strong, a strong administration, a strong president. Uh, he said that, and here's a great, his, his quote, I mean, I, I can practically memorize it. The greatest danger lies in a process of impeachment that is based on who has the most votes rather than on the guilt or innocence of the defendant of treason, bribery, or high crimes and misdemeanors. And that's what both parties have done. You know, it goes back to the earliest impeachments. Um, President Andrew Johnson was impeached improperly in the Senate by just the tiniest of majorities rejected it. And then there was a long period of time there have been no impeachments. And then President Clinton gets impeached for, to be sure, a crime, the crime of perjury. But it was not a high crime. It was a low crime. It was not perjury regarding governance. It was perjury regarding an affair, uh, a, seat, a seedy, sordid White House affair, low crime. And the Senate properly rejected that. I was a consultant on that case as well, in that case on the side of a Democrat. And then I was a lawyer on the side of a Republican when it happened again. And the Trump first impeachment was the worst of all because it didn't even allege treason or bribery or high crime and misdemeanor just alleged these two vague concepts, obstruction of Congress. I don't even know what that means. You know, almost every president um, obstructs Congress in the sense that doesn't willingly testify, doesn't willingly turn over documents and abuse of power. In my brief, I think I pointed to 44 presidents who had been accused of abuse of power, including Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln, Roosevelt. Everybody's accused of abuse of power. That's just a political cliche, and yet the Democrats tried to turn that political cliche into an impeachable offense, and, and they lost overwhelmingly. A couple of Republicans voted with them. Mitt Romney, my former student, wasn't in class that day, obviously, when he taught about impeachment, but um, he, he voted to impeach. He was wrong. I still like him, but he was wrong. And um, uh, virtually all the Democrats uh, uh, did. But you know, the check and balance that we have in the Constitution, of course, is that even if a president is impeached, and we've now seen that on several occasions, in order to convict, there has to be a two-thirds vote of the Senate. And that's almost impossible to achieve. It came very close in the case of Andrew uh, Johnson, very close, but it didn't come close um, in either of the two 
three more recent cases, and it won't come close in the Mayorkas case, even if he is impeached. The Republicans apparently have the votes to do it, but they can't afford to lose more than, I think, two or three votes. But if they do manage to get him impeached, there will be a trial and he will be acquitted. Um, I would be happy to represent him. I'm not going to be asked because people think of me now as more of a Republican than a Democrat. They're wrong. But if you know, if I defended Trump, I must be a Republican, uh, including s- some people who write me letters, who, who write me the opposite, uh, that I must be uh, a, a, a radical, leftist, woke, progressive person because I've you know, voted for, for Joe Biden. No, I'm, I'm, I'm none of those. I am who I am. And, um, I'm, I'm, you know, I try my best to stick to my, to my principles, but my principles are clear in this Mayorkas thing. Look, I happen to agree with many of the Republicans on the substance of the issue. I do not think Mayorkas did a good a job. And I think he did fail to enforce, uh, the law. And I do think we have a really serious problem on our border. But the answer to his failure is not impeachment. The answer to his failure is hold it against the president who appointed him when it comes to voting. Or, or you know, Congress has other powers. It can issue a condemnation. Nothing in the Constitution that prevents that. It can condemn him. Um, it can do other things. But it can't impeach him. That's the one thing it can't do unless they can prove treason, bribery, other crimes and misdemeanors. And you can't just amend the Constitution on a partisan basis without going through the very difficult process of amending it. The Constitution is very hard to amend. And that was a deliberate choice. Uh, this was a Constitution intended to endure through the ages. And you know, we've only had a couple of dozen uh, amendments to the Constitution, about half of them structural. Um, you know, 11th, 12th Amendments, they just corrected mistakes, 14th. 15th, 13th Amendment were basically treaties uh, after the Civil War. Um, and, uh, you know, other amendments uh, were designed to achieve particular results, 18-year-olds voting, women voting, uh, other kinds of things. But uh, it's been very hard to amend the Constitution. And I don't think there would ever be a successful amendment to the Constitution and provisions about impeachment. And so all my Republican viewers out there are going to be mad at me because I am opposed to the Republicans trying to impeach Mayorkas, even though I don't think Mayorkas is doing a good job. So, you know, be mad at me. I'm sticking to my principles. And I think you should stick to your principles. And I think Republicans in the House should stick to their principles. And I don't think they're doing it. So I accuse them of hypocrisy. Now, everybody will come up with distinctions. Well, but this is different. This is the border. And, and he did, you know, make a misstatement to Congress. No, Nobody, no rational person will tell you that what Mayorkas is being charged with now by the House Judiciary Committee is treason, bribery, or high crime and misdemeanor. It's simply not any more than than Trump was um, the first time. The second time was a little different because there, there were arguments that he may have incited something like sedition. The court again, the Senate again rejected it, but at least it was a closer case on the charges. On the evidence, perhaps not, but on the charges itself. But here in the Mayorkas case, it's not even a close case. And and, and, and one of the congressmen actually used the term maladministration. He actually said that's what Mayorkas is guilty of, maladministration. The very term, spelt the same way, with the same number of letters, 
the exact term explicitly rejected by the framers of our Constitution. Now, was this congressman just ignorant, probably, of what happened at the Constitutional Convention? Because maladministration sounds, you know, pretty pretty serious. Mal means bad, bad administration. Um, and in England, you can be impeached, and you can also just have a vote of no confidence based on maladministration. And maladministration is a good reason for voting against a candidate for re-election, but it was explicitly rejected. And along with it, implicitly was rejected criteria like abuse of power and obstruction of Congress and um, failure to enforce the laws and all the kinds of things that both Democrats and Republicans have gone after their political opponents over. And so what's happened is the worst thing that that Alexander Hamilton, probably the smartest of our founders, the most creative of our founders. So interesting because Thomas Jefferson was the most learned, um, um, uh, the most best educated of our framers. He knew everything. He read everything, um, read all of philosophy. Brilliant, 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 but not, not nearly as creative as Alexander Hamilton, who really saw the future. He saw America as a great industrial power, not just uh, a series of states that were based on an agricultural um, a basis. Um, also, I think he saw that slavery was going to come to an end and would end the economic uh, success of much of the South, which was based on, on enslaved people and enslaved labor. So uh, Hamilton was the genius of our founding uh, fathers in terms of, I mean, he was also a schmuck going into a duel with a guy who was a military hero two years after his son had been killed in a duel. What a jerk. But, you know, you can be brilliant and, and, and fantastically smart and really stupid. And Hamilton showed that combination of factors. The interesting to speculate what would have happened to Hamilton had he not been shot and killed in a duel. Would he have been able to return to the presidency or had he been trumped out of office? Remember, he had um, an affair with a married woman and he paid her off hush money and he didn't report the hush money. The same as the charges against Trump in the New York case. And um, and people think maybe that hurt his chances of ever becoming president. But he was a young man when he was killed, 54, I think, something like that, in his early 50s. And um, in those days, young men were elected, not today, where you have to be an octogenarian to be contest, contested for the presidency. But um, he might have been the president. Uh, nobody really knows. He could have run against Madison. They were reflected different parties, different parts of the country. Madison, obviously a Virginian, uh, uh, what today we would call a Democrat. Uh, Hamilton, obviously a Federalist from New York. Today we call him a Republican. And I don't know who would have won that election if, 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 if he had recovered enough from the affair by you know, the end of the Jefferson term to have put up a good fight uh, against uh, another Virginian. But we'll never know. We'll never know. Uh, that's the what what history does. It's dumb about the past and uh, hypothetically, and that is it can tell you what happened. It can't tell you what might have happened. And it certainly can't tell you about the about the future. So Mayorkas will not be removed. Um, I suspect that he will not be reappointed for a second term. And he maybe he'll be fired before the end of this term, because I think that if Biden is smart, 
he's going to try to eliminate the two major issues that right now would give Trump the presidency, the economy. And a president can pretty easily admit the administration can temporarily manipulate the economy to make it seem better uh, on the eve of the election than it actually might be. But every administration has the power to do that to some degree, not to not not obviously Herbert Hoover couldn't end the depression. Um, And then there's the security, uh, border security, which is the biggest issue today, one of the biggest issues, and one that uh, Trump would be elected on if the election were today. But Biden got smart, and he jumped on board, and he said, let's fix it. Let's close the, you know, uh, the loopholes. And by the time the election rolls around, we may see this administration be uh, very strong on on border security in order to help the election. I don't think the Middle East is going to have a big impact on the election. It might. Um, the Arab and Muslim voters of Michigan are threatening to stay home. or They're, gonna, they're certainly not going to vote for Trump. And to turn Michigan um, um, in, into, into Trump country. But if, 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 if Biden were to change his mind on Israel and suddenly become anti-Israel, uh, he would lose any chance of winning in other places like Florida. Probably won't win in Florida anyway, but at least... It could be a close election in Florida, but Florida has a lot of very pro-Israel voters, as do other uh, uh, countries, Arizona. So it would be a a trade-off. I do think that uh, the Biden administration ought not to give in to the hard left, uh, even if it uh, means losing some voters. I think they have a much better chance of winning if they appeal to the center and ignore and marginalize the hard, hard left, which I think only hurts the Democratic Party in the long run, at least I hope. I hope that's what happens. Okay, let's look at some letters and see what you folks are writing to me. All synagogues and all Jewish organizations should recommend Dershowitz's 30-minute broadcast three times a week as the best counseling for Jewish identity, Jewish self-determination, and Jewish response to persecution and anti-Semitism. Actually, I would advise it for everyone because Dershowitz teaches best human values in connection with law, justice, and liberty. Also, I would highly recommend it to African-American community as a path toward better success and achievement. The problem is synagogues have banned me, and they have, they have canceled me. Uh, Temple Emanuel, the 92nd Street Y, um, uh, the Ramaz High School, many, many other places. Jewish synagogues won't allow me to speak because I was falsely accused of um, uh, having sex with a minor who I never met never heard of. Uh, but they, you know, insist on canceling me and insist on um, you know, hurting themselves by not allowing their congregants to listen to somebody who's you know, pretty informed on the Middle East. As I said, Temple Emmanuel won't, won't let me speak, but it will let Peter Beinart talk about why Israel shouldn't exist. Um, I don't agree with political stripe uh, Dershowitzes most of the time, but he makes common sense. Hey, I'm getting some positive letters uh, this week. You keep criticizing Biden administration and Democrats' policies on DEI, lawfare against the Trump as election interference, a threat to democracy, pursuing school parents and Catholics, and holding Israel to a higher standard uh, for civilian casualties, as well as disastrous border situations. So how can you possibly support Biden? Well, it's a complicated issue. It's a complicated issue. If those were the only issues, um, I probably wouldn't. But there are many other issues as well that I 
strongly support. I support generally the liberal agenda of um, uh, women's rights, gay rights, um, uh, a more moderate Supreme Court, uh, reasonable climate control, reasonable gun control. So at the moment, uh, the Democrats are doing better on those issues than the Republicans. As I've said before, if the Republicans were to become more like they used to be, Eisenhower Republicans, Rockefeller Republicans, even Bush Republicans, um, I could easily see myself voting for a Republican instead of any kind of a woke Democrat. Oh, this is a little bit over the top. God put you and Donald Trump on earth to save the world. You must pray over this. Well, I take the responsibility seriously. But if you're counting on me to save the world, I think the world's in deep, deep trouble. You can count on me to do my best, but that's all I can do at 85 years old. Um, and then um, there was a, a letter about um, uh, an article. It's actually, I'm going to, I've written an article about this. It's going to be in the Wall Street Journal, I think, on Thursday, about why so many black preachers um, ha are anti Israel. And here's a letter that says, This isn't rocket science. Jews are seen as white and Palestinians are seen as brown. Wasn't it something interesting? There are more brown Jews in Israel than there are brown. Palestinians in Gaza. Um, Israel has 9 million people. Um, 2 million of them are Arabs, uh, Muslims. Um, but the rest, even the Jews, half of them are Sephardic Jews and are brown-skinned, dark-skinned. Uh, many of them very dark-skinned, some different, but every group, Africans as well, have different shades of of, of uh, uh, color. And, and, and so the idea that Jews are white and Arabs are people of color is a myth. It's a myth. Um, there, there are many Jews that are people of, of color. Um, okay, let's look at a couple more. Uh, Professor, can you devote a show to the constitutional issues involved in the dispute between Texas and the federal government over the border? Well, I can at least devote a couple of minutes on it right now. This is a, if I were teaching con law, I would be using the Texas case as a really interesting issue. It's a conflict between two powers in the constitution. One, the supremacy clause, which gives the federal government the power to regulate our borders generally. But the other is the police power, which gives the states pursuant to various other articles in the constitution the right to keep their people safe. And when you have a conflict, when you have border security, not keeping the people safe on border states and other states as well, then you have a real conflict. And the question is, does the supremacy clause, the supremacy clause says when, when the federal government has authority, then its authority supersedes the authority of the state. But when it doesn't have authority, the supremacy clause doesn't operate. And so the question really becomes, can Texas put up razor wire to protect its citizens against fentanyl and, and, and other kinds of uh, crimes and violence that the citizens are experiencing? It's, it's, it's a hard question. I think the Supreme Court would uphold the federal government over the state. They did already in a five to four decision with an interesting interesting five to four 
uh, vote with two of the conservatives joining three of the liberals in a preliminary vote. It was only a preliminary vote. It didn't get to the merits of the case, and it may change when it gets to the merits of the case. Don't know. Um, all right, here's one final question that also goes to the issue of race, which is so difficult sometimes to discuss rationally uh, without fear of being called a racist if you call it straight. So here's a, a question that does that. Professor, it's not only the state of Israel that black leaders employ a double standard. By a large percentage, black homicide victims are most frequently killed by other blacks. We know that. By the way, white victims are generally killed by whites. The interracial crime is too high, but it's, it's not nearly as high as it's portrayed sometimes. The only time black leaders express any sincere publicity on the problem is if a black citizen is killed by a white person or a police officer. That may overstate it a bit. There are obviously black leaders that are very concerned about black-on-black -black crime, gang crimes in places like Chicago and St. Uh, Louis. Um, by the way, um, the congresswoman from St. Louis, St. Louis, Cori Bush, who is probably the worst anti-Semite in Congress. It's, it's close between her uh, and, and two other uh, a congresswoman, but but she is, is certainly among the top three, is now being investigated criminally for uh, having used money that is allocated to security in an improper way. That We're just hearing about this now, so we don't know uh, where it will come down. Um, my personal hope is that she is convicted and um, uh, taken out of the House because I think she's a terrible, terrible member of of the House of Representatives uh, and, and one of the worst Democrats, one of the worst members of Congress. But I don't know enough of the facts to know whether um, she is in fact guilty of what she is being um, investigated for. So we'll, we'll wait and see. And there are black leaders who care deeply about black on black crime, but you're absolutely right that um, uh, the, when a white policeman uh, like uh, Sean McCall kills a black man um, like George Floyd, that's when we have a reckoning and we have a major, major um, uh, conflict and it turns uh, often quite, quite ugly. So um, maybe there is a double standard there as well. It's a different kind of double standard, but uh, all double standards should be, should be called out. Okay. See you tomorrow. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.